Welcome to Built to Scale e-commerce show with Darius and Justin. We are the founders of Ad Kings Agency, an industry-leading boutique e-commerce, Facebook ads, and omni-channel funnels growth agency. Our insights and expertise have helped to generate over $45 million in revenue and spent over $18 million on paid acquisition for our clients in the last year alone. In this podcast, we open up about the marketing and business development strategies and tactics we use to get these results. Hey, James, so super excited to have you here today. And maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit more to the audience and tell your story. How did you get into the Facebook? Sure. Hi, Darius. Yeah, so my background, I'm British, as you can probably tell from my accent. I actually studied English literature at Oxford. And the only thing I was really interested in back in the day was writing. That was the only thing I was good at. I wanted to be a journalist. So I actually went out to Asia. This is back in the 1990s. And I started writing for a big newspaper there called the South China Morning Post. I was writing the marketing page every day. And at that time, the big news in marketing was the internet. The guy next to me showed me one day the World Wide Web. It blew my mind and I was hooked. And so I got into digital advertising. I think uh, myself and another person, we were responsible for the first digital ad in China for a brand back in the day, which was for Pringles, probably 1996 or so. I got into a dot-com, which we listed on NASDAQ with Goldman Sachs. It was called asiacontent.com. And we ran DoubleClick's business. We ran CNET and various other MTV all across Asia. And our claim to fame is that we listed that company on NASDAQ on the day of the dot-com crash. (laughs) So (laughs) April the 12th, we were all very excited for our IPO listing, and it was the day of the crash. So that company didn't last long, but I carried on in digital media afterwards. I was uh, a CEO with Group M for a while out in Asia, Uh, worked for Intel, and eventually I returned to the UK. And in 2012, I came back with my family three young boys. And yeah, the the hot company at that time was Facebook. I joined Facebook in London. At that time, I think we only had maybe about 100 people or so in London. It was very small. It was still a private company. We hadn't done our IPO. I ran the Pan-Euro team for a while and then did various roles at Facebook. And for me, the you know the exciting thing about Facebook was really that early period was incredible because when I joined, we'd never sold a single mobile ad. (laughs) (laughs) And the big question was whether mobile ads were going to work, whether we were going to be able to do it. And I think the day that I joined was actually the day of what they call now the mobile pivot. And that was the day where Mark Zuckerberg said, okay, from now on, everything has to be mobile, mobile, mobile. Don't show me anything unless it's mobile. And so my job number one on day one was very much, okay, work out what are mobile ads and how do we build those and build an ad product for agencies and for e-commerce companies and brands. And as you know, seven years later, uh, that became a, uh, went from zero to a 70, $80 billion business. Yeah. And it was a very exciting journey. And right now, you know, if you're thinking about it, like 99% of the delivery we are getting is mobile ads. And personally, you know, when I was just starting with Facebook advertising, mobile ads didn't work back in these days. And it wasn't even that far ago. It was eight years ago. 
So it's quite strange, you know, to see how we did change. And back in the days, everything that worked was desktop ads because people wouldn't be buying it things from mobile. It just wasn't convenient enough. There wasn't enough trust. So people would always be making their purchases through their desktop. I think that's very true. And you know, we all knew that mobile was going to happen, but we I think we didn't realize how fast it happened. That pivot from zero percent of the money on mobile ads into, as you say, I don't know what exactly I imagine it's at least 90% is now mobile. It was very fast. And I think it just we managed to ride that wave of e-commerce and companies getting good at selling things online and consumers getting comfortable with buying things online. So it was a perfect storm, if you like it, in the right direction. Yeah. And how was working in Facebook experience like? Because I know a lot of people are either evangelizing it or hating it. And I know you spent like seven years first, so you certainly must have enjoyed it. And maybe you can share your experiences. Yeah, I'm definitely one of the evangelists. It was an amazing privilege to work there, especially during those years. The people, the culture, and especially, I think, what I was working on, which was helping to build what I think is the world's most powerful marketing platform. I've always worked in marketing and advertising. And so it was just a privilege to be a part of that building that platform. On the people side, it's very interesting. Facebook's mission was really important and still is very important for the people that work there. So that idea of making the world more open and connected was an incredibly inspiring mission. It's a challenging mission when you start to connect up 2.5 billion people. And there are issues and, you know, whether Facebook existed or didn't, there would be huge issues with the internet connecting all those people up on the internet anyway. But I think now Facebook's very much still about making the world open and connected, but it's also trying to do that safely and trying to do that in a safe way. So the people was great, were great. The culture was incredible. I'm very happy to tell you more about the culture if that's interesting. Yeah, definitely. Before I talk about the culture, though, I'll come back to that problem that we were fixing, which was the marketing problem, the advertising, you know, everyone, we didn't have mobile ads. And I think no one knew what it was going to be. And the dream was to make ads that were relevant for people, that they were targeted, that you built an auction, a bit like Google, where people were paying a fair price and getting fair value, that it was measurable, that you could not just measure things in a very simple, direct way, but you could do multi-touch kind of measurement as well. And then also to collapse the friction between discovering something and then buying it. And I think in all these ways over the years, you know, that Facebook marketing or advertising product has evolved and got better and better. And now I think what you're seeing is this kind of golden age of brand building. You're seeing all of these amazing D2C companies and e-commerce companies, any category you look at, whether it's drinks or it's personal care or it's fashion You just see all these incredible young founders building these great brands and they're able to go straight to their consumers. And I think that's probably the legacy of that ad product, that marketing platform, the way that anyone who's got a great idea can now launch it on Kickstarter, just get going and start scaling up. That I think was the privilege to work on that product. But in terms of the culture, that's the thing that I look back on really passionately and we're trying to put into our new company, which is called Pencil, which we can talk about later. But the culture of Facebook, it was a culture of strengths culture. So there was a big belief, if you worked there, that people will grow stronger where they are already strong. 
So instead of saying to someone, hey, you know, you did well this month or this year, but here are your weaknesses. It was much more a culture of saying, okay, well, yes, you've got these weaknesses, but this is where you're strong. So how can we double down on your strengths and make you better and have more impact using those strengths? So that was a big learning for me. Another learning was about goal setting. We're doing this in our new company, uh, Pencil, setting what we call 50-50 goals. So a lot of companies go wrong because they set themselves goals or KPIs that are achievable (laughs) pretty easily. Yeah, And so everyone hits their goals and the company doesn't evolve fast enough. And at Facebook, we had this culture of 50-50 goals where when you set your goals for the quarter or the the year or the month or whatever you're setting, you set them as 50-50. So you are aiming to hit around about 50% of your goals. And if everyone's doing that, and that's understood between a manager and a team, then it's very liberating because you can now set really ambitious goals and you can go for them, but no one's expecting you to hit all of your goals. So um, I can go on about it all day, but yeah, there's, there's some really wonderful ideas there. Yeah, so it's actually very funny you mentioned like 50-50 goals. So it's very similar to what we employ in our agency. We do not do like 50-50, but we usually do about 70% where our kind of is target. We just plan very aggressively. And if we can hit 70% of it, we consider that like a huge success. So this is kind of how we approach it. And it's quite similar in general. Yeah. Good. And maybe, you know, let's talk about iOS 14. It's kind of like very... I guess, a hot topic right now. A lot of people are scared about it. And I personally have also opinion about it, but maybe I'm interested in here. What do you think about it? You know, how it will affect Facebook future and advertising performance in general? Sure. Yeah, I'm probably the last or the worst person to ask on this subject. (laughs) I'm keen to hear (laughs) your views. Uh, I haven't discussed it with the Facebook teams directly. I'm not an expert. And I'm not actually running campaigns myself anymore. We're focused very much on the, on the generation of ads that work and then learn to perform. But I guess what's playing out is broadly, and we're going to see this perpetually now, this is part of the big tech platform wars, right? There are five big tech platforms now, Google, or Alphabet, Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Microsoft. And they're all in each other's business. They're all in advertising. (laughs) They're all in hardware. They're all in payments. They're all in media. And so I've been trying to follow it and try to read the winds of where it's going. But to be honest, I think there's a lot going on. I think we are going to move to a more of a privacy first world. But uh, how it's actually going to ultimately play out, I could not guess. I think it's really important. I'm going to say this and then I want to hear what your views are. I think it's really important now, but always to focus on the micro and not the macro, right? Focus what you can impact and put your efforts into solving. And at the moment, it's pretty clear to me that the place to focus on is creative and content. And that the one thing that is guaranteed out of all of this is the the people who adapt and get ahead of the game and get really good at generating high volumes, high variety of content are going to emerge as winners. We're already seeing it. There is going to be some disruption that a lot of the benchmarks are going to change, but it isn't disruption if you're ready for it. So the winners will be the people that get ready 
to create lots of content, lots of creative that's relevant, high volume, high variety, and then just keep pushing that out and testing it. And no matter what happens with iOS 14, they're going to be the winners in the auction. They're going to have the best results. But I would love to hear your view. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, honestly, it's pretty much exactly the same to you. Yes, I'm not waiting for it because it will definitely cause, um, so to say, change in the world. And I think like a lot of clients will experience a lot of ups and downs during this time. It will for sure shake some businesses off. But as we know, you know, like Facebook platform is based on auction system, right? If there is like less businesses advertising, their prices will decrease and you will still find like happy medium where you are profitable. And the biggest question is, how do you stay relevant? And I think the creative is the answer. Also, you know, not disregarding some diversification with other channels. And I guess, you know, what I'm preaching a lot is just building up the business brand name and returning customers. They will save your ass through these hard times, you know, about to come. And it might last three, six months till people start figuring out how to work around this issue. And I'll for sure foresee, you know, there will be brands that are absolutely killing during this time. Absolutely. There'll be some really big winners. And I think there's things people can do now to make sure that they're going to be the winners and not the losers. <laughs> Yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> and actually, even our internal team, we are like kind of having huge discussions about why the hell Apple is doing it. So, of course, there's like a trend like this. But we are also thinking about that Apple might be preparing for their own launch of ad platform. So maybe you have your own ideas about this. Yeah, I've got, I have no inside track on it. Certainly, I, I don't feel Apple's ever really wanted to be an advertising company. It could have done many times over the years. And and has chosen not to. So I see them pretty intelligently, quite smartly positioning themselves out of those five tech companies as this kind of trusted privacy first mm -hmm. of the tech platforms. And I think that's pretty smart. But do you know a guy called Eric, Eric Sufert? I'm never sure how to mm, pronounce him. No, I haven't name. heard him. Yeah. He is the absolute kind of guru, especially the app where you can find him, mobiledevmemo.com. So he's a great analyst and writer about this whole subject. And he often talks about, if you go back to 2012 or so, back in those days, then the App Store was absolutely supreme, right? It was very dominant. It was the kingmaker of whether an app could survive or not. And now with Facebook and other advertising channels on the mobile, then kind of disintermediated the App Store to a certain extent, because you know people can promote and push out their apps using those. And so part of this could just be Apple trying to take more control back for the App Store. So I don't know, but that's certainly resonated with me. Yeah, because it's kind of for sure, you know, a strategical move, whatever it's for branding, for some sort of like new product introduction, or as you mentioned, could actually be related with App Store for sure. Hmm. Hmm. Cool. So maybe let's talk a little bit more about I guess kind of question about advertisers and brand owners are having about Facebook. And often what we reps tell us is not often what works in real life. So I'm just interested, how is usually this discrepancy created? Is there some communication barrier that's happening? Or it is that we as advertisers do not know something that Facebook knows here? Yeah, I don't think there is any intent to mislead or deceive. I usually strongly recommend people to try to use Facebook the way it was intended to be used. Uh, <laughs> it's very <laughs> tempting. It's kind of almost human nature to try to 
hack the system or beat the system. And over the years, I found that if the people that spend their time understanding how it works, how the auction works, the importance of things like content, but not just content, right? It's the ads and the content you put out there, but also the experience when people come to your landing page, when they come to your site, when they go through the the consistency of that experience. So in general, Facebook's incentive is to try to help brands and agencies get really good marketing value on the platform. And so that's their incentive because the more value you get, the more people are going to participate in the auction, the higher they're going to be prepared to bid on inventory. But it's balancing that with a lot of other things. And one of that is rewarding good actors, right? There are good actors and bad actors on the platform. So it's really trying to understand, well, who are the good companies who are bringing real value to users? So that's one thing. And then, of course, the actual user experience as well. So I find when people say to me, oh, you know, I disagree with the Facebook advice and I'm not getting the right performance and, you know, I'm going to try and hack the system. I often find when you kind of scratch beneath the surface, you actually find, you know, maybe their product is is not that great or maybe their customer experience is not that great. And maybe there's some link baiting going on or there's some deception that's holding back the performance. So I see time and time again, people who have a good product, a good website experience, and they come with, again, a high variety and volume of content into the platform, then they tend to do pretty well. Yeah, it's just basically a harness business and it's all about the basics sometimes. It's not so much about, you know, trying to hack the system. And I believe like three years ago, there was like a huge trend about this, you know, using, so to say, additional, like all the sophisticated tools to pause the different campaigns, you know, at separate times, you use different bidding methods. But what I'm seeing in general with artificial intelligence improving more and more, all of them becoming irrelevant. And what matters is just mainly creatives. Yeah. Absolutely. And creative is the new frontier. That's why I, after Facebook, I mean, I thought after leaving Facebook, I would, I would not be working on Facebook ads. I thought I would do something <laughs> completely different. Then I met my co-founders, Will and Sumuk, and they're, they're real machine learning engineers. And they built Pencil. And Pencil is a way of automatically generating strong Facebook and Instagram video ads that not only perform really well, but they actually learn to perform over time. So they get better and better the more that you use it. And I fell in love with it immediately. And that's what we're 100% focused on at the moment. Yeah. And you know, like for me personally, like TriPencil seemed quite interesting because it certainly like has its own spot in the market. I've seen like a lot of different plugins and tools that kind of claim to create good creatives for Facebook ads, but never really actually does it. Here, I think it definitely fills its own role for people that maybe do not have like a full creative team in-house that can just cook up, you know, like 25, 30 creatives per week. So I think for these businesses like TriPencil is perfect choice. We as an agency, I guess we are lucky that we have team, you know, we are right now creating like all the production team that are able to do the shootings of a video when we have all the editing team. So we kind of do not have a need for it, but I for sure see maybe even medium-sized e-commerce businesses getting some use of out of it for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All the data from Facebook themselves and when you talk to companies shows that the more that you can test and the more creative you can put in there, the more chances you have of unlocking new audiences. That's really the key to it. So Facebook ads 
is a little bit like the music industry or the movie business where it's a hits business. Uh, you don't know which ones, <laughs> no human being really knows which ad is going to work the best. And we certainly can't predict. So the way to prepare yourself for the future and good performances is just to get really good at being able to hit one button, generate 10 new ads, review them, push them into your Facebook ads account, run them. And then if you think about it, you are then benefiting from Facebook's incredible AI. They've built this incredible AI where you put in content and it will look at the initial reaction to that content and the signals, and then it'll go off hunting for you for the right kind of people. So if you're a mattress company and you put in 10 great ads and two, you know, ad number two and ad number six seem to start taking off, but ad number two is for takes off with younger people and ad number six takes off with older people, then it'll go off hunting for older people who are interested in mattresses, <laughs> who are maybe in the market for buying mattresses right now. <laughs> and it'll do that for older people, it'll do it for younger people. And what we're seeing the the more advanced advertisers do is they they have a test structure and they have a scale structure in their ad accounts. And let's say it's 70, 30 or 80, 20. So 70 or 80% of their budget is going against their scaled ads that are evergreens. That you know, Some of those ads will work for weeks, months. I've seen ads that work for years. And meanwhile, they're constantly testing with 20, 30% of their budget, you know, 10 new ads, 10 new ads, and promoting the winners into the scaled budget. And then Sometimes they have to cut off the ones that don't work manually, but you know if they're using campaign budget optimization, CBO, then even the AI is doing that for them. It's making the money flow into the ones that work. It definitely like changed my game, you know, when I'm thinking about like the last few years. Not even needing to adjust the assets manually is such a time saver and just simplification of it. So are there like any interesting facts about, let's say, Facebook artificial intelligence that maybe majority of people and advertisers do not know about? Yeah, that's a great question. I think people don't think of Facebook as an AI company, and they should. And you know, I think you can go, you know, there's a website all about, I think it's called FAIR, Facebook AI Research. And it's really fascinating. You know, they've amassed one of the best AI teams in the world. And there's a lot of stuff going on. So, you know, there's suicide prevention AI going on in there. If you think about the translation, the ability to anyone from any language to speak and translate to another language is just phenomenal. There is deep fake detection, which is going to be really important in the future as deep fakes become important. But I think the most important for advertisers, for you know, agencies and e-commerce brands, the most important AI to understand is the is around the algorithm and I guess around what you could call liquidity. So you know, there's four real types of liquidity. You want to try to maximize all of them. So there's the liquidity of the placement, right? So where your ad is going to run. There is the liquidity of the audience. So again, we just touched on that. Keep a really broad audience and let Facebook go off and try and find the right people for you. There's liquidity of budget, keeping your the way that you manage your budget bidding as open and liquid as possible. And then there's a liquidity of creative, so different aspect ratios and sizes and formats. And so if you try to use Facebook the way that they've now built it to be used, and you try to keep all four of those things liquid, then what you're doing is you're giving the Facebook AI a lot to play with. 
you're unleashing the full power of the Facebook's AI because now it can take the right ad and serve it to the right person at the right time using the right placement. And the more targeting and restriction that you put on it, the less you can benefit, I guess, from all that AI. Yeah, definitely. And it kind of matches with our own findings that you just need to be going broad and the higher you scale, the more broad approach you need to be kind of applying in your media buying processes in general. I kind of have another like, I guess, tricky question, right? But it kind of comes from like conspiracy that a lot of digital advertisers are talking about for years. So I just wanted to <laughs> maybe talk about this opportunity and just ask a few questions about it. So at the end of each quarter, CPMs usually do increase. So why do you think that's happening? Because a lot of people in Facebook communities and groups always tell that it's about corporations just spending their quarterly marketing dollars, just dropping everything into Facebook because they just have to spend the budget out. That's definitely an element, right? It's called the use it or lose it <laughs> culture. <laughs> I used to be a, a Group M CEO working with a lot of big Fortune 500 advertisers, and that's a real dynamic, right? They have budget and they need to use it within a specific quarter. So some of that happens, but I don't think that's the most important dynamic. The obviously end of Q4, right, during holiday season, we obviously see a spike for obvious reasons. So that's an important one. I think one smart thing that advertisers do is they try to understand the seasons for their category really well. And they look at all the if they're focused on the US, then they look at all the different holidays in the US and um, all the usage. And they try to build out a calendar where they... Have you ever heard of this concept of lakes and rivers? I think, yeah, if you're talking about the same thing. I really like it as an analogy. It's where you acquire those customers during the cheaper times and you acquire them and build them into your, your lakes right into your newsletters, into your content, and you build up those audiences. And then when you know, you know, it's the time for your category where people actually buy and they convert, you turn them into your rivers at that point. So you do a lot more retargeting, for instance, and, and further down the funnel. And so it's amazing how many companies, I guess, have, are not using that approach. And that, I think, is the main thing to do with, with the seasonality on Facebook. So essentially, once again, people just needing to spend more money at certain times, right? Yeah, I mean, acquire those customers into your lakes during cheaper times yeah. and then convert them when they're ready to buy, in the seasons when they're ready to buy. And this is, I guess, is especially relevant during quarter four. So usually what we do is we try to pre-buy traffic as early as like two, three months early, you know, before the Black Month, I guess, starts because right now it's all about Black Month, not even just Black Friday. <laughs> just CPM starts to skyrocket like three or four weeks early. So the earlier you can start, the more advantage you have here. Absolutely. Yeah. Good. So another question. So how does Facebook choose the CPMs for certain campaigns? I'm not sure if you have enough you know, understanding of it right now because it's something that I've been experimenting myself lately and... I believe there's like a lot of controversy about this question, at least from my team side, because what we are seeing that if CTR, click-through rate of ad or conversion rate of the website becomes higher versus you know what you were having before, often link CPC prices also increase through the means of CPMs. This means you know the better your website is converting 
or the better you're sometimes creators are doing, the more you're paying for link click. It feels sometimes as if Facebook is kind of limiting the raw improvement you can get. You are still getting benefits from it, but it feels like there's like a diminishing returns. So for example, you went from like 2% conversion rate to 4, you will not see your raws go from 2 to 4. Got it. I've heard things like that before in some cases. I've also heard the opposite. It makes sense if you think about it that if you suddenly have something that is converting well, right? So let's say you have some generated some great new ads, you've tested a lot of ads, some of them are working really well, your price point is good, <laughs> you know, your landing page is good, and suddenly you're getting a lot of good conversions. It actually kind of makes sense that your CPMs might go up in a good way, right? Because Facebook's starting to do is it's starting to say, okay, you know, I'm getting a lot of conversions here. I understand what this is. I understand who's converting. I can go off and find more people like that. And then suddenly you're, you know, you're bidding for the best people, the people who are about to convert. And, you know, those people might be more valuable in the auction. And so there's more people bidding for them, (laughs) more good brands bidding for them. You see what I mean? So you will go a little bit mad, in my opinion, if you spend too much time looking at CPMs because it's all so interrelated. Almost always the best place to try to keep the focus is on CPAs and on ROAS. And I think the real conversation to have and where people go wrong is they only look at CPAs and ROAS on their own, and they don't also look at them in terms of scaling and overall sales. And that's really where the magic happens, where it's understanding what's driving CPAs and what's helping you scale at a reasonable CPA. And almost always, that means unlocking new audiences with new content and new creative. With Pencil, we're working with, let's say, around about 100 brands and agencies at the moment. And when we look through the data, we're seeing that there's a big jump, initial jump, when people start using Pencil. And it's coming from the first jump comes from when they start to put in more videos than they were previously putting in. Then the second jump comes about, let's say, three, four weeks later when the machine learning kicks in. They've connected up Pencil to the Facebook Ads Manager. And so the data comes back from Facebook Ads Manager on the API, goes back into Pencil, and it improves the ads week on week. And so we are seeing, so the people that are doing it you know, religiously, they are putting in five, 10 new ads every week. They're trying to take the humans out of the loop a little bit and let the machine do its business. So it's kind of almost like our machine talking to the Facebook machine with that feedback loop. Then many of them are starting to really get that scale effect where the ROAS is getting better week on week and they're able to do it to your point, against broad audiences. So it's only doing it against broad audiences that will allow you to get both the CPA target you want and the scale that you want. Yeah. Or do you think maybe there's like a possibility that Facebook is just giving some sort of like discounts for advertisers with low conversion rates or low CTRs? So you would still be getting some sort of return and sticking possibly to a platform? Nothing is impossible, but I don't think that's where Facebook's focus is. I think that we should touch on how the algorithm actually works, right? There's three components to it. There's the bid price and type. And the second part is 
the expected response, right? And that is relative to the campaign objective. So if you set your campaign objective as conversions and what you're putting into the system and your product and your history looks like it's going to have a good response relatively to your campaign objective, then again, that will work in your favor. And then the third thing is relevance. That's like user value. You know, is the user experience better by clicking or, or interacting with this ad and this company? And so those are the three things I think that drive performance in the auction. And so I don't believe that if a brand is going to be rewarded unless it's performing well against those three things. I see. I mean, it certainly makes sense what you are saying because it's kind of like the things that we are noticing, the better you know, relevance you have, the better ads, the better customer experience in general. But usually the lower CPMs you get and there's like correlation about it. But yeah, it's just kind of a controversial question, I guess, in general. Just something that we are noticing might not be universal in general, but something that I've noticed, I think with like at least 12, 13 different brands, you know, but once we improve our conversion rate, usually CPCs go up a little bit too, according to it. Sometimes even like two times more. <laughs> Had a few cases like this. Again, like it's fairly natural, kind of fairly natural because I guess what the system's trying to do is it now knows who you want. It now knows who converts yeah. and it's going after those people and they're more valuable people. So yeah, your CPMs will go up, but if you have the right product and the right experience, you know, your ROAS should maintain and scale with it. Yeah, exactly. This is what we are seeing. Usually these changes, we drive a little bit more of the budget you can be spending on Facebook instead of just playing blindly affecting so much ROAS. So as I mentioned, if you're improving conversion rate from like two times, ROAS will not go up from two to four. It will most likely go up from two to 2.8, but you will be able to spend a little bit more. And it was, I guess, you know, kind of matches to what you're seeing here. Yeah, I mean, I've got a question for you. How do you unlock new audiences, constantly try to unlock new audiences for your clients? So there are like quite a bit of different ways we approach it. So I think like the simpler is, of course, creative, different sales angles there. Usually that's the easiest number one way to go about it. But over time, you still kind of unlock usually like the few, the best performing audiences, which is usually about two to three. I mean, from a sales angles perspective, not just, you know, the targeting. And then, you know, you have another options. You might be completely revamping your offer. So, for example, if you're real selling eyeliner, right, as a product, then you might be driving people into advertorial that just teaches people about different cosmetics. Suddenly you unlock like wool, another part of the audience that you didn't touch up to this date. And another level is, of course, you know, to package up the same eyeliner differently. So if you've been selling the eyeliner through the sales angle of, hey, it's much proof or like waterproof, and you just switch the angle into, hey, it's gym proof eyeliner. And suddenly, you know, it, it starts to resonate with a full different segment of people. Fantastic. Yeah, I love it. I love that thinking. It's a great framework. Yeah, and you know, it's just about playing with Facebook and I believe you have a lot of experience <laughs> here, so you know how I, it works. <laughs> I'm glad you used that word because it you have to approach Facebook a little bit with a Zen mind, right? <laughs> you cannot expect it to perform exactly how you want it to on any given day, right? If you step back and you look over a 12-month period and you're doing all the right things, it'll work, it'll grow, it'll work for you. But it has storms, right? Things break. It has seasons. You know, we're part of a long-term secular trend to e-commerce. 
which I think leapfrogged five years or so because of the pandemic. And so I think everyone's adapting to that leapfrogging, right? People are just buying a lot more things online. Their human offline behavior has changed. And I think everyone's adapting to that on the online world. And so the people that adapt fastest, like Darwin said, <laughs> they are the fittest, they will survive and they'll, they can do really well at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So James, it was super awesome to have you here. And maybe you can tell people where they can find more about you, maybe connect with you, or maybe where they could try the pencil or just learn more about it. Sure. Well, send me an email. I'm james at trypencil.com. And pencil is great for anyone who's spending, let's say, $10,000 a month or up. So we can jump on a call, I can share a demo. And if it's something people want to try, then would love to talk to your community. And then our website is www.trypencil.com. We have some social media accounts. I tend to be on LinkedIn more than Twitter, which uh, because I'm just too busy to use more than one. So you can find me, connect with me on LinkedIn as well, James Chadwick. And yeah, I've really enjoyed our conversation and congratulations with AdKings, with the podcast and uh, everything that you guys are doing down in your part of the world. Yeah, thank you, James. So see you on another episode. Fantastic. Enjoying this podcast? Consider subscribing and sharing it with your friends. This helps us to grow and create more amazing content like this for you.